0: On one pitch, a long drive to right, Ramirez turns to the track, she's gone!
1: now. It's a very special episode. Yes, it is. Welcome to season 14 of the sportscasters. Uh, The 13th year of the show started back in January of 2011. And here we are today, January 4th, uh, 2024. The 13th year, the 14th season starts today, and I've been keeping it close to the vest. Some people know Uh, Many people don't, but today on the show, uh, making his sportscaster's debut, the great Bob Costas will join us today. So a little bit of background. Uh, I grew up, as I've said many times on this show, uh, the kind of kid who got the USA Today and turned the front page over to the second page of the sports section to read Rudy Marski's column. I was always fascinated with sports writers and sports broadcasters and play-by-play men. I loved Ted Darling growing up as a kid, the Sabres play-by-play, Rick Jenneret of Sabres play-by-play, uh, Van Miller of Bill's play-by-play, uh, which is where I grew up, and I loved Bob Costas. He was my guy. Uh, his book was one of the first books I ever read. Um, I love to watch him call a game. I love to watch him host. He was the guy in sports media. He was the one seed. And uh, I wanted to be Bob Costas. I wanted to go to Syracuse because Bob Costas went there, which I did briefly before my situation changed and I came home. Uh, But I made an early decision to Syracuse University is the only place I applied uh, because that's where Bob Costas went. And I just missed meeting him once. I'll tell that story to Bob when he comes on. Uh, But it's an honor for him to be here today. For me, I'm thrilled. I have worked all break. I've watched hundreds of videos. Um, I've read articles. I've done so much preparation for this interview. Um, And I can't wait for you to hear it. I recorded about an hour ago. We did just about an hour. Um, and I think it's great. I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, but I hope you can tell in my voice how important this is to me. Um, you know, there were times last year when I thought the sportscasters might be done. Um, but I knew, I knew there was more. And when this interview came together, um, it changed everything for me and, and, and lit a fire under me. Um, and well, you, you guys can tell me how I did, if I did good or bad, I don't know. Uh, but I know I put everything into preparing for it. Um, and when the call started, I I think I took a deep breath and I, I went for it and I tried to be me I tried to squeeze every minute I can out of him. I think he's certainly ready to go at the end. Um, hopefully he'll come back another time. He doesn't do a lot of podcasts. He told me why before the show, uh, but that was off the air. So I'll keep that between us, but. Look, at this, this is an unbelievable opportunity, um, and it's a great way to start season 14 here on the Sportscasters. First things first, before we get to that, uh, the Sabres still stink. Uh, they are winning 2-1 to one right now, uh, but they stink. Nothing's changed over the break. The Saints still stink. Uh, nothing's changed there over the break. They're alive uh, here going into the last week. They need a win, and then they need help. They need help from teams like the Carolina Panthers, Um, and I don't think they're going to get help. And the sad thing is, is that going into this week, Dennis Allen is guaranteed, no matter what happens in the game, his best record as a head coach. So that means if we lose and we go eight and nine, that's going to be the greatest season in the history of Dennis Allen as a head coach. And for some reason, all signs seem to point that they're going to bring this bum back. I don't know what they see in him. I don't know why anyone who's watched the last two seasons thinks this guy's qualified to be a coach in the NFL. But apparently he's going to get a third year, win or lose. Uh, So I guess I have to cheer for win. You know, I'd rather we play a playoff game in the Superdome than Tampa Bay plays one in their dumb stadium. Uh, But this team stinks. You know, they're 87 million under the cap, quote-unquote, although not that much over the cap. Not that much now because they've already restructured, restructured Lattimore uh, and I guess in an interesting way that could even lead to him being traded which whatever, I mean he doesn't play anymore. The last two years he he him and Mike Thomas, they they never play. I've been the biggest Lattimore guy but you know he, he doesn't play and he gets hurt and he never comes back. It's always oh, going to be back and he just never comes back. You know it's bad luck, it's a tough league, whatever but you know, he doesn't play. And we made a decision before to keep a guy like – to let Troy Hendrickson go and keep a guy like Peyton Turner or, um, you know, the, I can't even remember the other guy uh, that was always injured that we kept. I should remember him. I don't know why I can't right this second. It's been a lot today with the interview. Uh, but you, you got we got to pay guys who can, who are on the field. So I don't know what Lattimore's future is. I don't know what Kamara's future is. Uh, But if they're bringing bringing Dennis Allen back, I would assume that they're going to try with what they have committed to Derek Carr next year. He'll be back. That they're going to try to put a team together that that can win. Now, I don't know you're ever going to get a better situation than you had this year. You know, they had the easiest schedule in football. They didn't play any good quarterbacks other than maybe Trevor Lawrence. Everything was set up for them and they stunk all year. So I, they have to improve the pass rush, they have to improve the offensive line. I think Ryan Ramcheck could be done, you know. So it's bleak there. Um and I don't know that anything's going to happen to make me happy. I am happy Rashid Shaheed made the Pro Bowl. Congratulations to him. You know, he's probably my favorite saint right now. An undrafted guy in his second year makes a Pro Bowl as a return specialist. He's electric out there. He's made every play I've stood up and cheered for this year as a Saints fan seem to have been Shahid. So props to him. Uh, Juventus is one loss in all competitions. I think it's been a huge benefit to them to not have Europe. uh, So they don't stink. Um, I think Inter's going to make a run in Champions League. We'll have a lot of time in the new year. Talk about soccer. Soccer never goes away. you know. And before you know it, the Euros will be here. And Italy will be defending in 162 days. They play their first Euro 2024 game against Albania. Be a big one since Spain and Croatia wait afterwards. They're going to have to win that first one. Uh, so we'll look forward to that. We'll have a lot of time uh, to talk about the Azuri uh, going forward. Um, bowl games stink. <laughs> Oklahoma lost. There's Whatever. Uh, the Jackson-Arnold era has begun. I look forward to that. I enjoyed the college football playoffs this weekend. Uh, both games were good. Had great endings. Was thrilled to see Texas lose, obviously. Uh, Oklahoma basketball should be a tournament team this year. So look forward to that. I haven't had an NCAA tournament game in a couple of years. So look forward to enjoying that with Oklahoma in it. Always better than without it. Um, but really, I'm just looking forward to season 14 here uh hopefully a lot of the great guests who've been with me the last 13 seasons will be back and many new ones we had a lot of great debuts last year uh and hopefully we're starting with a huge debut uh and hopefully that will continue hopefully this is the year uh Drew Brees is on the show but this is what we're going to do now we're going to take a break uh we're going to oh I forgot to mention the Braves traded for Chris Sale uh with the Red Sox they gave up Grissom to do it I have no idea uh what Their plan has been this summer. Um, I'm not going to pretend to understand it. We have to get Jeff Passan in here and see what he makes of the Braves offseason, which has been interesting, Um, and see uh, where they stand. Do they have enough pitching? Uh, Are they going to make the same mistakes they made last year? We know they have enough hitting. So the Braves are interesting, and hopefully we'll get Jeff on before too long into the year and find out what he thinks of the Braves offseason and the baseball offseason in general, obviously, the Dodgers spent a billion dollars. So good for them. But on the show today, we're going to take a break in a second. We're going to come back with Bob Costas. And that's it. Then we'll be back on the other side. I'll give plugs. And then one last thing, I'll tell you all about Christmas this year and Christmas break to end the show. So with that said, let's take a break. We will be right back with Bob Costas. Our first guest of season 14 is from Long Island, New York. He attended college at Syracuse University before turning pro to call ABA basketball games. He's accomplished everything in the business. He really needs no introduction. And it's an honor to have him here for the first time. A warm Sportscasters welcome to the immortal, the great Bob Costas. Hello, Mr. Costas. How are you doing tonight? Welcome to the Sportscasters. Uh
0: Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm very very
1: excited. Very, very, very excited. Proud moment for sure. I got a great almost met story. story um, I was four, f- 14, 15. I had a bad hockey habit, <laughs> so I had to go to work. I was a busboy at a restaurant near the airport in Buffalo called Danny's Restaurant. And um, I had just – a good friend of mine's older brother was a Newhouse student, and I just went there for the weekend um, – and he took me around, and I was in, you know, Dreamland, uh, you know, Marvel, where Bob Costas, all my heroes had went there, and I knew I was going to make an early decision there, and um, you know, I was walking around thinking, how can I find someone? The, the alumni interview, who could I get? You know, can I find anyone? So this is like going on my mind, and I'm, it's a Friday afternoon. I'm working at the restaurant, and I walk in at like four o'clock. And the restaurant's mostly empty, but I noticed right away there's a table that needs to be bussed, like someone had just left. I go in and punch out. I come back, and I'm bussing the table. And the waitresses come over to me, and they're like, "We, the, someone at the bar said that was somebody, you know, but we don't know who it was. And they don't know. And I'm like, well, let me see the credit card receipt. And I looked. Bob Costas <laughs> signed it. I don't know how I didn't see you in the parking lot. I don't know how I missed you. But somehow you got away. You got away from me probably awkwardly saying, Hey, you think you would do my uh my alumni
0: interview for my early decision to Syracuse? So uh So, so it's because of that little twist of fate that we are only now meeting, right. and even now from a distance. Did you get into Syracuse? I did.
1: I, I did get in. I was a new house student. I went for the first year and a half, and then I got sick with Crohn's disease, and my mom said, You gotta come closer to home. Because this was a time when it was a long distance call, you know, just to call home, yes. Yes. you know? So even though Buffalo to Syracuse is small back then, it was far, it was still 55 on the highway, you know? And like I said, it's a long distance call. And once I got sick, mm-hmm. my parents weren't comfortable with me being that far from home. So I finished at, um, Fredonia, but I was in- incredibly blessed to, to get in and to spend my time there and to learn there. And I think about my days there all the time. And, uh, you know, like you, we didn't quite get to the end. You went pro, uh, but uh, I went, uh, I had to switch, be closer to home, but amazing times for sure.
0: How are you feeling now, Steve?
1: Good. I had uh, an unbelievable 2023 and zero days and zero minutes in the hospital after Good. about 70 in 2022. So good. I'm feeling good. New medicine, feeling great. I'm here with you tonight. What could be better?
0: Well, we'll find out. We'll find as out. Long as, I don't, as long as I don't screw up my part, I'm sure it'll be good.
1: As far as guests go, in the word of the the late great Mickey Mantle, um, he once said, the only way to get a better piece of chicken is to be a rooster.
0: Well, yes. I don't know if that applies <laughs> here. And I'd really rather not go down that avenue. But I get the point you're trying to make.
1: Right. right. I, I, I worked so hard on um, you know, trying to be prepared for everything and i was watching this one interview and the one thing i didn't have access to i would have liked was your mom's vhs collection you know that yeah, that could have bobby on this and bobby on that you know does that it exist was impressive though? do you still it have was it impressive are the tapes um, out there
0: somewhere yeah i have the tapes in a in a storage room and all of them can be if you want to do it and you have the time to do it or you find the person to do it they can all be repurposed yeah now digitally and put onto links or whatever so it's not quite as unwieldy and maybe someday i'll do that because i watched a lot of later
1: i think i've watched every one that's out there and i'm like i wonder if bob's mom had any more because it was like 600 episodes there wasn't 600 on on um, youtube but um
0: no i I, but there i think there have been well over a hundred of them i keep hearing about this episode or that so yeah it's about 130 about a large number of them are out there on youtube i guess
1: yeah about 130 and some are actually more than one episode because there'll be a yeah. video that's like you did th- like a three-parter with mccartney it'd be all three of them were together um <sighs> mm-hmm. on one things like that you uh i was reading Ebersol's book and there's a lot of really good stuff in there about yeah. about you and how later came to be and th- i was fascinated by the initial uh uh, the, was it the three-year anniversary of Letterman, the show? And you and your future uh, nemesis, Vince McMahon, were at opposite yeah. hospitals uh, waiting for the birth of the of the baby of the show, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was supposed to be uh, if a baby was born during the taping of the show uh, and he was at one hospital and I was at another, uh, then that baby, whatever baby was born first, Uh, would be crowned the late-night baby and, of course, would have many privileges and honors throughout the rest of his or her life. So there was no baby born at my hospital. There was a baby born before the show ended at Vince's hospital. (laughs) Uh, And they were checking in with us throughout the evening. Um, And, you know, it was a funny segment. It turned out well.
1: And initially, if I have this correct, before later, there was another show you were going to do sort of in that spot and you guys were getting ready to announce it and then the affiliates had some other show in there that eventually then failed within the year and then that's when you recreated the the idea sort of changed right because at that point you were in st louis so that's when the idea changed or or do i have that that's
0: all that's almost correct okay i don't remember there being another show that the affiliates had uh, Dick Eversall had an idea for a show that would be done live or as close as possible to live each night, <clears throat> and it would be me sitting around maybe in a restaurant-type setting with uh, maybe a few regulars but also guests, so kind of a rotating group of people uh, from various backgrounds but interesting people to talk about whatever was topical. Not just sports, news, entertainment, whatever's kind of out there, and to have an informed but also entertaining and free-flowing conversation was his idea. And that wasn't a bad idea. The problem was that I was living in St. Louis. I had two little kids. Um, in fact, the first the second of my two children had not yet been born when when later started. Um, so it was impossible for me to commit to doing that kind of show five nights a week in New York. And so Dick kind of went back and regrouped and came up with the idea, why don't we do a show like what later became, which would be in effect a video biography of interesting people. And that way we could tape four or five of them in a single day, usually Monday, because I'd come into New York to host the sports stuff on the weekends. So I'd, tape four or five, sometimes maybe as many as six if an individual guest became All a right. double or even a triple has happened sometimes. Uh, and then those would not necessarily air that week. Some of them would air pretty quickly, um, but others would just kind of fall into the queue and they'd air when they aired. And that way we were able to stockpile them. It allowed me to spend most of the week in St. Louis and also covered us for when I had to go away, be on the road for the Olympics or for... The World Series or something else that took up a lot of time, uh, sports-wise. Yeah. So yeah, so that that format worked, and it turned out to be a very good show on its own merits. In fact, I'm glad that we landed on that format rather than the first one. I think the first one would have been good, but the second one was better.
1: Yeah, and it's almost like a podcast of the day because unlike the other late shows, it wasn't necessarily about people just coming on to promote something, you right? Know, or the movie of the week, you know, or the right. The new tv show whatever it was more about their careers or their lives yeah and you got some people who didn't do a lot of interviews i was fascinated like with the bob Seeger one i don't know if i've mm-hmm. seen anything else from Seeger that that's sort of Very in that little. format and that long i think McCartney was his first one in 10 years on us tv
0: yeah it was you, yeah. you see paul a lot more now right um uh, because the whole landscape has changed and people are generally more accessible including some of them on social media for better or for worse but at that time When McCartney did three shows with me in 1990 or 91, he had not done an American television interview, at least as I understand it, in 10 years. And you're right about Seeger and some other guests we had uh, did our show even though they rarely did television because once the show got its sea legs and became what we envisioned it becoming, then I think it appealed to a lot of people especially people in entertainment who tend to keep odd hours, so they were up late when the show aired. And when they saw uh, the way the conversation generally went, they recognized that it was different from some of the things that they had an aversion to, even then, about television, that there wasn't going to be a soundbite situation, they weren't going to be taken out of context, they'd have time to make a nuanced point, um, that I would be prepared and not insult their intelligence Um, And so because of that, we actually had people in some cases come to us and say, I'd like to be on the show. We didn't have to uh, reach out to them. And when we did reach out to people, if it wasn't the first scenario, we found that many people who, as you say, rarely if ever did talk shows, they were very receptive.
1: You're sort of known for, for being able to prep, you know, fast, you know, be on your feet like that, I think probably from the Olympics, I saw a clip with your friend Bruce and he was saying that it was that McCartney interview. And then one you did with Ted Williams um, when I think when his book was going to come out, that kind of, that he didn't do the today show that those were the two that really, you sort of obsessively prepared for and sort of took to a different level.
0: Yes. You know, I tried to be well prepared for everything I did, but I knew in the case of McCartney, because it was the Beatles and because he had done so little on American television for so long. And in the case of Ted Williams, who, for his own reasons, was kind of in the same category, seldom did interviews. If he did, they were very short, kind of catch-him-on-the-run type things rather than sitting down and doing something at length. And Ted wound up doing two hours with us on the radio, and then a few years later did three later interviews with us, Uh, And I knew that those interviews, because of how fascinating the subjects were, McCartney and Ted Williams, but also because of how infrequently they had done interviews, that they had to be close to definitive. It wasn't enough that you just asked good questions. You had to make sure that you checked all the important boxes. So that's why I prepared even harder and with a sharper focus for those interviews than for most others.
1: The uh, the book that came out about Ted Williams this year and his relationship with Aaron Glenn, or Aaron Glenn, um, John Glenn, uh, Adam Lazarus wrote that one, and I know he mm-hmm. those interviews were invaluable for him because it was, you know, Ted on the record on things that he couldn't yes. find elsewhere.
0: You yes, know? So and I, I spoke with Adam uh, good beforehand, dude. and he yeah. sent me the the manuscript, and uh, so we were in touch. I think I wrote a blurb for the book, as I, I, think I remember. You did. Yeah. But it probably, probably would have sold well without it, so it doesn't <laughs>
1: matter. He did a great job, and I love that book. He one, did. Yeah, one of he, the better he books He did do a very good job. Yeah, and that was. I know that that stuff was invaluable. The, the One of the things I loved about Leader 2 is you guys had a lot of fun, sort of tongue-in-cheek with the clothes. You know, because uh, <laughs> you would do the multiple parts. Oh, right. You'd be like, oh, right. come back tomorrow, and then yeah, tomorrow will, would come. <laughs>
0: you know, at the beginning, the producer said, yeah, just say, will you come back tomorrow? Oh, of course I will. Well, we're just going to stop for a minute, and five minutes later, we're going right. to start taping It'll again. Tomorrow. And we're going to be in the same clothes for the whole week. <laughs> yeah. you know, if you, if you, We only did four shows because Friday Night Videos had the slot uh, during that era on Friday night. So we did Monday through Thursday. Uh, and there was one guest who was the entire week. That was Mel Brooks. Um, Mel Brooks was the entire week. Yes. Uh, and Fascinating. We, I, made, I made the same joke. I said, well, now we're at night three, and we've been in the same clothes all three nights. And he said, but tomorrow we're going to be nude. And <laughs> we went off the air, and I was, whatever you say, went off the air for a second, came back, and we had, we had stripped to the waist and covered ourselves in, in bedsheets. Yeah. And, then, and then it was like, reveal, reveal. And he was prepared to go a little farther than I was going to go. But <laughs> I bet. We, we, followed, we followed through on his stunt
1: that's so good there was so many moments like that too and, and stuff that came organically you had mm-hmm. the um the girl from taxi who remembers like every day in her life Mary and you Lohenner. yeah and you you just sort of innocently asked her about the day of the moon landing and she's like oh that's the day i lost my virginity or something right. like. it's like a lot that's of right. stuff happened if you watch those videos they're really good another thing i wanted. yeah,
0: to, yeah go ahead no, that's it. You're right. All I can do is say thank you, and I agree.
1: <laughs> you got to check that stuff up on YouTube. I think I want to ask you about um, there was a time when Stern was on, but you weren't there that night, yeah. and Tom uh-huh. Snyder was on, and right. they basically just fought with each other for a half an hour.
0: Yeah, it uh, became very combative.
1: Yeah. Did you were, Was the original plan for you to be there and then you weren't and Tom came in? Or was it always going to be Stern and Snyder? I was wondering uh, I, about that.
0: I, I, I don't recall exactly. I certainly wasn't avoiding doing that or any sure. other interview. But there were, there were stretches of time uh, where I was away, whether it was for the Olympics or the NBA finals or whatever right. it might have been. And we tried to stockpile as many interviews as we could. But there were times when we had to use... Uh, fill-in hosts and uh, Tom was one of them
1: yeah that that later stuff is incredible an incredible time capsule too of like the era and thank you you know what I mean and I, I loved watching all that I think I've seen them all let's talk a little bit about baseball uh because I got the baseball guy here and uh-huh. I read uh fair fair ball or fair play a fan's guy ball fair ball uh, I just read it um for the second time I've owned it mm-hmm. since it came out um back when you know, I read a book a year, and now with this show, I read 13, 14 a year. But um, what do you think, if you wrote part two today, what do you think would be the things you'd be fighting for or advocating for or against with the game today?
0: Well, I think there would be a larger section on the Hall of Fame um, and how the steroid era yeah. uh, and guys who were part of that, who still are on the ballot or under consideration is part of the ongoing baseball conversation and how the standards may shift over time and how uh, it's become not, was this guy a good player? Everybody who plays 10 years in the major leagues is to one extent or another a good player. And everybody who gets any kind of traction in Hall of Fame voting was at least a very good player. But I think the conversation too often has been, is this guy as good as whoever I consider to be the least worthy person who's already in. And I don't think that should be the Hall of Fame standard. And I think analytics are very, very important. They're very informative. I've been interested in them from the very beginning when they first became part of it. it was called Sabermetrics then, when we first started to hear about it in the early 80s. I think it's a very important part of being a well-informed baseball fan, even let alone Commentator or Hall of Fame voter, but I don't like the idea that it's automatically definitive. This guy's war is higher than that guy's, so therefore, case closed, he's automatically better. It's a Hall of Fame, and fame means something different than mere numbers. The numbers contribute to it, but what's the context? How important was this guy in the context of his time? And what are his achievements beyond? the regular season numbers did he excel in the postseason did he have extraordinary highs as opposed to just good mid-level performances all those things are how i view the hall of fame it's not how every voter used the hall of fame and i'm not even a voter because it's confined to the baseball writers so broadcasters and other people that are part of the baseball community don't have a vote but i think that i would devote part of a book to that uh i would also devote more of it uh to the history of baseball broadcasting and how my own career evolved in that way uh i would talk about some of the things that were front and center the last few years that i talked about on the air which was how baseball is supposed to have a pleasing leisurely pace but not a plodding, lethargic pace and baseball responded to that very effectively finally yeah. this past year because the pitch clock and the other changes they made were almost unanimously embraced by baseball fans, and it made the game better as an entertainment product. And baseball still has some of the problems or issues uh, that were the central thrust of fair ball, which is competitive balance. Balance is the wrong word. Competitive opportunity. I don't think you necessarily want all 30 teams hovering around 500 or 30 consecutive years where each team wins the World Series once. That would be true competitive balance. I don't think that's what you want, but I think you want a system that gives every team at least a reasonable chance, given smart management and a little bit of luck, to get to the postseason or have their fans think that they're not doomed to forever be on the outside looking in. Um, I think baseball is better off than it used to be in that regard, but it's still not perfect.
1: Right, and with the format, you should be able to get in once in a while. I mean, even yeah. though, you know what I mean. Some of these teams, right. I think, are guilty of just not investing back into the clubs,
0: or you or know, too. just not being not being smart. Look, the, if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, right, they they sort of remove all excuses from the Pittsburgh Pirates, sure. don't they? Absolutely. The Rays, the Rays are in the American League East, which is a tougher division than the National League Central. where the Pirates reside. Now, the schedule is closer to balance now, but it used to be that you played a disproportionate number of your games within your own division, so the Rays are playing that disproportionate number against generally very good teams, competitive teams, whereas the Pirates got to play against, generally speaking, lesser competition for roughly half of their schedule. And even now, it still tilts in that direction, just not as much as it used to, the Pirates have one of the most beautiful and appealing ballparks in all of baseball. It's amazing. And the Rays, the Rays play (laughs) in one of the two worst facilities in baseball. It's either Tropicana Field or Oakland for the dishonor of being the worst stadium in baseball. And so how is it then that the Rays, with their limited resources and less than perfect circumstances, are consistently so much better than a team like the Pirates?
1: I have, a, I have a friend in Pittsburgh, too, who's, you know, he's a huge hockey guy. He's lived through Sidney Crosby, you know, Mario Lemieux when he was younger, uh-huh. a, you know, big Steelers guy. He said to me, nothing was better than those 2014-15, you know, in PNC Park when it was yeah. standing room only for those wild card games. When they were good, the city responded in overwhelmingly.
0: Yes, you Pittsburgh know I mean? is a very yeah. good sports town, a very, very good sports town. And they have a very deep baseball history. So yes, the, the era you're talking about, Andrew McCutchen, yep. you know, they had the young Garrett Cole and, and others. That was a good team. Yeah,
1: and the people came and and supported yep. them overwhelmingly. Yep. Um, and they had finally had a couple great moments in that ballpark. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about a couple games. I want to talk to you about the Sandberg game was kind of your first uh, in your career baseball game that was just you know we still talk
0: about, right? I mean,
1: yeah, I can say the Sandberg game, everyone knows what we're talking about.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you remember most about it? It's one of only two games that I'm aware of regular season games that has a name. The other one happened during the same era in the eighties, the pine tar game, when George Brett lost his mind after they temporarily negated his home run off goose Gossage at Yankee stadium. Uh, The Sandberg game could not happen today. Could the same performance happen today? Yes. But it wouldn't have center stage the way it did then. The baseball game of the week really was that. Baseball fans who didn't have as much to choose from as they do now. There was no MLB network. Um, ESPN was in its infancy. The internet didn't exist. You couldn't access highlights with, just by picking up your phone or going to a, a zillion other places somewhere where you can access all this stuff. So the Saturday afternoon game of the week, Felt special if you lived in a non-baseball town. If you lived someplace in Idaho or something, that was your baseball fix for the entire week. You didn't mow the lawn during those three hours. This was your chance to see Fernando Valenzuela face Johnny Bench. Or if you lived in a National League city, your one chance to see Carl Yastrzemski and the Red Sox, or whatever it might have been. And if you lived in an American League city, the reverse. This is your chance to see the great National League stars. So those games often got ratings that would now rival some World Series games just on a given Saturday afternoon in May, June, or July. So you had that going for it. The game happened to be at Wrigley Field, and it wasn't just any opponent. It was their longtime friendly rival. It's not a cutthroat rivalry like the Yankees and Red Sox sometimes has been, but the Cubs and the Cardinals are longtime rivals. Close enough that if you go to a game in St. Louis, you see a lot of Cub blue. You go to a game at Wrigley, you see a lot of Cardinal red. It was a perfect June afternoon. And then Ryan Sandberg got five hits, including two last-ditch homers, one in the ninth and one in the tenth, both of them off future Hall of Famer, just as Sandberg was a future Hall of Famer. Bruce Suter, which couldn't happen today because no reliever would stay in game for three-plus innings like Whitey Herzog left Bruce Suter in. So he faced him in the ninth. He faced him again in the tenth. Willie McGee hit for the cycle in that game for the Cardinals. Ozzie Smith, predictably, made some eye-popping plays, and the Cubs wind up winning the game in eleven innings, twelve to eleven. It's also the signature game of what became a Hall of Fame career. It's the game with the whole country watching that marked Sandberg as the front runner for the Hall for the. Uh, MVP, MVP award that yeah. year yep. which he did which he did win um now i am sure that in the now what is it 40 years it'll be 40 years this summer <clears throat> that that happened i'm sure that there have been many performances in regular season games by many hitters guys who hit four home runs in a game guys who got six hits in a game guys who performed heroic feats they just didn't happen in a circumstance where the whole country seemed to be watching, and when every aspect of it all came together perfectly, that's what happened then.
1: Yeah, the drama of it too, with it being you know down to their last batter both times with the home yep. runs too. Uh, I you were talking about, <clears throat> I, I really resonated with the um, you know game because I grew up in Buffalo, so we didn't even have a team. Um right. and while, you know th- those game of the weeks that was when I got to see the A's. You know, get to see Canseco mm-hmm. McGuire. You know, That's right. or whatever team, and and I actually became a Braves fan in '89 because I could watch them every day. You know, once right. we got we got cable and I had TBS. It's like, okay, this is a team I can invest my time in and be with every yeah. single day. Which we, then we couldn't even do with the Yankees, even because it was pre-yes network. Yeah. Um So even though the Yankees are the biggest team here, the Braves are probably in the top five because many people like me could watch every day, which makes me excited to talk yes. to you. About
0: the superstations, yes, WGN with yep, the Cubs, Cubs, too, yep, and TBS with the Braves. Yep. The superstations made many fans for the, each of those teams around the country beyond their own region.
1: So I know I'm biased, but I think 1995 is one of the best World Series ever. Um, that Cleveland team is awesome. Uh, yep. the games were really good. Uh, you know, the the, the first game in Cleveland was an all time great World Series game. Uh, this is the the major league baseball network time, I know. Um, and you didn't get to do the full series, but you did do the clinching game in Atlanta, which was a long day for my guy, Dave Justice, right? He was on the front page of the paper for kind of calling out the fans. Now Dave Justice is a little ahead of his time because he would love playing for the Braves now, right? With the battery and the new ballpark they have. They get amazing crowds and good fans now. It's not like it mm-hmm. was then, but that he was right about that. Um, And I know the fans beat him up, but I think it was a good challenge. And Glavin pitches a one-hitter, and he gets the big home run. Um, And you had a great call on it. Um, And I've watched it you know, 600,000 times on YouTube. Uh, Is there anything you want to? See,
0: I I really think the cutoff on YouTube should be (laughs) 500,000 views for any one individual. So you've exceeded that by 100,000. You need to cut back, Steve. (laughs) It's in my top five videos
1: watch yeah there's that i'm a saints fan so tracy porter's pick six on uh, right. i'm an italian kid so the uh the fabio grasso you know uh, world cup winning pk is another one i've watched endlessly i do love the dave justice i was a big dave justice fan his home run for the yankees as well i've watched that many times Many. Oh, times. yeah, I was
0: lucky enough to call that one too. Yep. I'm serious, <laughs> yes, referring did. to the one yep. in the two thousand LCS Rhodes. that won game six and the pennant yep. off Arthur Rhodes of the Mariners. Yep.
1: And as a Dave Justice guy I was super into that one. So oh, but let's go back to ninety five real quick. Do you have what can you tell me about that day, about that home run? I know it was you and Euchre and um mm-hmm. uh Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan. Yeah, which yep. is a great booth. I love Euchre. I learned a lot about baseball from Morgan growing up. Uh, he was incredibly good at explaining it without making me feel like I shouldn't know it. But, you know, he just had a way. I love that booth. I love that game. Like I said, I've seen the clip a million times. Anything you can add to it to make me happy?
0: Well, I don't know if it'll make you any happier than the fact that your favorite player hit the World Series winning home run. <laughs> right. But um, Justice had made the observation, and as you said, it was accurate, Yep. that the atmosphere in Cleveland where Amen. they hadn't had Uh, a world series since 1954 and they still haven't won it since 1948 that the atmosphere in Cleveland was far more raucous you know and in fairness uh they had a brand new ballpark and there were various circumstances that that made it that way but the atmosphere in Cleveland for games three four five was more raucous than it had been in Atlanta for games one and two um and then you know, the fans, for it's front page of the paper, not just the sports section, front page of the paper. The fans are on him. They're booing him as he comes up to bat for the first time. He had not had an extra base hit in the entire postseason. Right, he hits um, a double
1: it, first, right? Hit,
0: hit a double yep. into left center, and then hits the long home run to right that turns out to be the only run in the game. Um, so that was his answer, and it was an, an obvious storyline. It was something we had to talk about. Uh, because it was the talk of the entire city uh, leading up to the game that night. Um, and then he turned it inside out. So it was a good story. It wasn't a fake narrative or one that we imposed on it. It was right there.
1: Yeah, and Glavin pitches eight, one hit. Wars yep. gets the save in the ninth. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, the team in the 90s got its championship.
0: So Yeah, you know, it turned out that was a perfectly uh, true statement. Yep. And if you watch the entire game, it wasn't just that one statement. I stipulated, not just during the game, but right up before it, and then afterwards, in in wrapping it up, that over the last five years, that's the first half of the decade, over the last five years, this has been the best team in baseball. This is the third time they've been to the World Series. They were also to the LCS uh, before losing to the Phillies. Yep, 93. This has been the best team during that Period of time. So subsequently, it looks like, well, the Yankees were clearly the team of the decade, but the Yankees hadn't done anything yeah, until we didn't the next know year yet. Yeah, we didn't in know 96. That. And when they met again in the World Series in 99, the title of team of the decade was still up for grabs. If the Braves had beaten the Yankees in that World Series, which they emphatically did not, right. because the Yankees swept them, but yeah. if the Braves had won that World Series, They would have had two championships, just like the Yankees had two championships, but the Braves would have had many more trips to the World Series and many more division titles than the Yankees, so the title would have been theirs. It just looks in retrospect like I jumped the gun a little bit, um, and I I wish if you could go back and change everything, if you had an eraser for everything and make it perfect— I probably would change it a little bit, but at the time, it uh, it resonated as the right thing. And you know
1: what? The Braves really screwed you in 96, too, because they should have won that World Series.
0: Well, they were the better you know, team.
1: There's no excuse. That's the one of all the years, I think, that haunts me the most because you get the incredible performance by Andrew Jones as the 19-year-old hitting the home. you kill him in Yankee Stadium the first two games. And then they're on the ropes. What was it, six to one, six to nothing, whatever, six.
0: I think they were up six to nothing yeah, at one point in game four. Yeah, six to nothing
1: in game four, and you know, yeah. So that that that's what really I think even more than ninety nine because yeah. ninety nine we weren't competitive. The Yankees were by far the better team in ninety nine. Oh, there's yep. one home run I wanted to ask you if you remember if you have anything to add. Eighty nine was the year that you, you were kind of doing both LCSs because Vin got sick. After. No,
0: I only did one game. One game? Okay. Just one I knew you, did,
1: you were filling in for Vin a little bit there. Uh, but yeah, I was. Jose Canseco hit a home run in that series in the Skydome that I swear has not landed yet.
0: Yeah. and, and the Upper deck. Oh, upper my deck God. Upper deck at the Skydome, which was thought to be unreachable. And, um, and high up. The height of it. <laughs> you know, the height of it is not just the distance of it, but the height of it. It seemed like it nearly scraped the roof.
1: Yeah, I was there for WrestleMania a couple uh, the next year, WrestleMania six, and we had mm-hmm. really bad seats. I mean, we were so it took us forty five minutes to walk to these seats. I mean, we were higher than the, we, we were there bad. I said, "Where these are the worst seats." I still think Jose Cansego hit the ball farther than where we are, uh, where we were standing. You also did the Mayor game in the nineties. You did uh, yeah. obviously Game Seven. The 97 World Series is one that you get to do the whole thing, right, um, if I remember correctly.
0: No, I did the whole thing in 99 as well. 99, in 95, yeah. we had to divide it with ABC because the strike in 94 blew out the World Series, and ordinarily you'd alternate. And so the way that we decided to do it – I didn't decide, but the executives <laughs> right. decided – was that Al Michaels, Tim McCarver, and Jim Palmer did Game 1. Euchre Morgan and I did Game 2 and 3 – They did games four and five. We did game six. And had there been a game seven, they would have had game seven. So in truth, they held the upper hand. I think there was a flip of the coin. They held the upper hand. But the way it played out, it probably was slightly better for us because we got the clincher. And we also got the best individual game, as it turned out, which was game three in Cleveland, which uh, Eddie Murray won with a walk-off hit. And that wouldn't do an interview. They was then known and got back in the series
1: and then Eddie walked off without an interview, right, at the end of that one for some reason?
0: Yeah, Jim Gray wanted to talk to him, and Eddie walked right past him. <laughs> Classic. Uh,
1: Jeffrey Mayer started the Yankee dynasty. You were there for that. That was a big one.
0: Yeah, I was there, yeah, with with Euchre and Morgan. Uh, an easy reversal now, if you had a replay rule, right. easy. Yeah. You do it in two seconds. There's nothing to dispute. But that didn't exist, and you could see in real time that Richie Garcia, who was a good umpire, had missed the call down the right field line. Then when you looked at the replay, it made it even more emphatically clear. Um, and it may have cost the Orioles the game, but fans always think, well, and therefore it costs them the series, but the Yankees dominated the Orioles that year head to head. F- they finished way ahead of them in the, in the divisional race. I forget how many out of 18 they beat them during the season, but it was substantial. And then they won all three games in Baltimore um, so right. uh, they're winning that one it, one way it, or another. It yeah. certainly it certainly was a blown call. I don't know that it that it caused the Orioles to lose the series.
1: The, we were just talking about this because the Winter Classic was on the other day. I know this isn't baseball, but I just thought of it and I don't forget. Uh, I remember being so excited at the first Winter Classic in Buffalo. Well, it was in Buffalo. Yeah, that you were you were in the building as well because mm-hmm. as a hockey guy, I know you got your start minor league hockey um i just read kenny Albert's book he also with the baltimore Skipjacks, got his start in minor league hockey it's a good way to start i guess joe davis called some college hockey games early on uh some of the great baseball guys started with hockey but you were you'd finally done hockey you were part of the first winter classic that of course they got the bad headline this week that it's you know the lowest rated one of all time but it's not on network anymore it's on cable now you know right. so i don't think that's no, it, fair it, it, it's apples know? it's complete yeah.
0: apples and oranges
1: but do you remember anything about 08 being there in the snow globe that we had here in Buffalo for the, yeah. uh, Yeah. It
0: was the, the atmosphere was fantastic. The fans were all geared up. They're having a wonderful time. It was like a party atmosphere and you couldn't, if you staged it, you couldn't have it turn out any better. It wasn't a blizzard, but there was a steady snowfall that looked as I put it like a snow globe. Uh, The game was close and well played and the penguins win it. On an overtime goal by Sidney Crosby. Yeah, at least I think it was, it was a shootout. Goal, or it was at least late in the third period. It was period. a shootout. He, he scored yeah, the winning so, goal in the shootout. Yeah, so yep. he had the winning goal in the shootout. Yep. So you, know, you couldn't script it any better than that. And sometimes you judge things by the buzz. You know, it's one thing to say the game got a good rating, which it did. But people were talking about it yeah. days afterward. I went to a Broadway show. Um, and here, I don't remember what show it was. But I certainly remember the game. Went to a Broadway show like two di- two nights later. And several people at the show, they could have talked to me about anything. Several people at the show talked to me about that game oh, and cool. about what a cool concept they thought the Winter Classic was. So I thought it was great for the league, and it started a great tradition. The sports
1: guests are here with the great Bob Costas. Incredible honor to have you. Uh, a few more minutes I got left. I want to ask you a couple more things. We were talking about uh, the Indians in that World Series and how they – yeah. It was their first one. you know. Then, of course, they 2016, uh, they're right there again to the Cubs and their drought. The Cubs, uh, the Red Sox, the White Sox, a lot of these teams have ended their droughts. Is there any teams that you think a championship can be the same for? Is, like, Do you think the Lions or the Browns, if they were to win, or maybe still the Indians? We're running out of those stories, which are hard to get yep. back because you need 80 years to build them right or 100 well, in i don't the case know if you need 80
0: but you, right. you need you need a substantial period of time i think two of the two of those stories reside in cleveland sure the browns and the, and the now guardians guardians uh, who have who yeah. have gone who have gone now more than three quarters of a century without winning They last won in 1948 i think part of the story has to be though for it to build up you got to build up some scar tissue There have to be the heartbreaks and the near misses. The Red Sox had that through all the years. Of course. Uh, You know, many, many near misses in the postseason, the World Series, a one-game playoff, the Bucky Dent home run in 1978, all those excruciating near misses, some of them almost unfathomable like the World Series in 1986 against the Mets, that contributes to the story. It gives it many, many layers. The White Sox really didn't have that. The White Sox won in 2005. They had last won in 1917. So it was actually two years longer than the Red Sox going from 1918 to 2004. But the White Sox didn't have the backstory. They didn't have so many near misses. Of course, Comiskey Park, with all due respect, is not Fenway Park. And the White Sox have generally been second in fan appeal in Chicago to the Cubs. So that's part of it. But they really didn't have the backstory. The Red Sox had the backstory. The Cubs not only went a long time, but in relatively recent years, that's when the backstory built. Because most of the time from 1908, or you want to say 1945, when they got to the World Series and lost it to the tigers from that point on they were hardly ever contenders but then the story starts to build in 1969 when they're eight nine games up on the mets in august and then they just collapse and then we get to 1984 when they're up two nothing in the lcs to the padres and that was the last year that the lcs was best of five right and the padres come and beat them and that would have been a classic world series at two old ballparks at tiger stadium and Wrigley Field that everyone was kind of hoping for and it didn't happen. Will and then Clark. there was the Bart the Bartman game okay, and a yeah. whole lot of other things yep. kind of built in. I don't know that Will Clark rises slam, to that man. level because yeah. they lost they lost that World Series that that LCS rather in five games. Sure. So it wasn't quite the same kind of heartbreak. But they began to build up that scar tissue. The Indians same thing. The Indians never really contended for a long stretch of time. But then you get to the nineties and they had perhaps the best team in 95. Yeah. Uh, and they Good lost team. to the Braves. They In 97, they probably had a better team than the Marlins. And they lose in a heartbreaking seventh game, which they had the lead in the ninth inning. And they were up 3-1 on the Red Sox some point in the early 2000s in the LCS. And that slipped away from them. So those those near misses add to the story. And then in 2016, Somebody had to break their curse, be it the Indians or the Cubs. and Cleveland was up three games to one um, before losing game five at Wrigley and then losing not only game six, but game seven at home and game seven is an epic game All right The rain winds delay. up going to extra innings and yeah. the rain delay and the whole thing. So you, it isn't just how long you've been lousy, right it's how close you've come during all those years it's a good that point. adds to it. Now, yeah. the the if the Lions were to get to the Super Bowl this year, it's a gigantic story. It's just that they don't have as many near misses since the days of Bobby Lane. Yeah, like the In Bills fact, I think, probably have more. I think they've won only one playoff game since 1991, talking about the Lions. That's right, so, yep,
1: against the Cowboys. The Bills are probably a team that has maybe more scars. Yeah, you
0: go to four straight Super yeah. Bowls and lose. You know, Marv Levy is still alive. He's a remarkable man, one of the most admirable people I've ever met in sports. And I think he's right that how good do you have to be to go to four straight Super Bowls? Is it heartbreaking, especially the first one when Scott Norwood's field goal attempt drifted wide right? Of course it's heartbreaking. But that's an extraordinary achievement. And that was a great, great team.
1: Yeah, and then you've had since then, too, you've had the the lateral play. Um, in Tennessee, they also lost the 13 seconds game in Kansas City a few years ago, and they had them beat oh, right. and blew that. So, right, could be some stuff there. All right, the sports guys are finishing up with Bob Costas. I'm just about out of time. Squeeze a couple more things in. We'll do them a little quicker. I was a huge, huge on the record with Bob Costas fan. I think one of the best shows ever on HBO, right up there with uh-huh. Larry Sanders and The Sopranos and all the well, great that's shows. High, that's had. high
0: praise. It was good. It, it was, was really good. I'll take that for what it was. Yeah.
1: It was incredible for its genre. I mean, thank you. And the most famous moment is Vince McMahon. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I, it does make me interested because I was like you, a wrestling fan as a kid, and I still love wrestling. But I love what I loved. You know, I, me, and my daughter, she's seven. We watch '80s wrestling. We we haven't watched anything new or whatever, except for maybe if an '80s wrestler comes back, we'll watch the clip. But I know you were a fan when you were younger. Um, you did the thing with Vince. It, it, with a letterman. Then you did get Madison Square Garden, the war to settle the score, you did the the um you know, you, you were the announcer for oh, the main event. The ring event. announcer. Yeah, the ring announcer for the main event, which was really cool. I watched that back recently. And then there was a rumor you were supposed to be at WrestleMania seven, but then they leaned into the Iraq storyline and you backed out. Is that true or untrue? To clear I that I don't
0: up. know that I don't think I ever committed to it. Okay. Um but and I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just don't remember. No, that's exactly, fair. But I don't think I had committed to it. I would have had by by then. What year was was WrestleMania 7?
1: That was um let's see. Uh 87 was 3 88
0: 4 89 5 90. All right,
1: so yeah, 91. It was right right yeah, at it, the it, precipice I, of I, I, the Iraq War.
0: I, I I wouldn't necessarily have rejected it out of hand. But when they leaned into the Iraq War, there were just some things I just felt, especially the direction my career was going, um, I I didn't think that that was the right position for me to be in, so I I didn't accept it if if it was offered. I can't even remember if it was offered or just discussed, but uh, I was wise not to do it.
1: Yeah, the wrestling lore is you were offered. They never announced it on TV, so that kind of keeps it as rumor. Like They never actually said you were going to be there, but there Mm -hmm. is... I think you know in the Dave Meltzer type dirt sheets. I know that they were saying you were mm. supposedly going to do it. So I just want to see what you remembered about that. Um, you did have the two great the, the interview with Vince that is popular. People forget he came back the next year, and you guys yeah. did thirty great minutes together.
0: Yeah, um, it was a, li- a little more uh, a little more low key, but it was still interesting.
1: Yeah, and you st- you went at hard too, and um, you know he. He kept his cool this time I guess which he didn't yeah. do the first yeah, time. I, you yeah. you know what
0: distinguished the first one was the tone, yep. how heated it was. Yep. Um, you know, I that wasn't my intention but he reacted the way he reacted. So, do you have you talked to him
1: since that that last um Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, actually we haven't crossed paths in quite some time, but we did cross paths two or three times since then, and I probably spoke with him a couple of times uh, on the phone. Uh, since then, um, you know, I don't think there's any real hard feelings. Good. Uh, the um, I watched
1: a lot of NFL Today videos um, mm-hmm. and loved them. The halftime stuff with Paul McGuire is a Buffalo guy uh, who would come into that restaurant. I told you a lot about Danny's and I would talk football mm. with him, which was really cool. Um, OJ said you did it, right? <laughs> he saw it, you. You went to visit him at the jail. You were bleeding. And OJ, I guess jokingly. Yeah, you know, yeah.
0: I, 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 it was... You know, he re- retained his his athlete's personality.
1: Yeah.
0: And he was, you know, there was awkward small talk being made. Uh, I didn't think anything more of it than that.
1: And Al was there. It's crazy. You and Al Michaels are both there. Uh, yeah, not su- at the same time. Right, not at the same time. Are you surprised the way NBC seemingly is treating Al here at the end? If the reports, well, like the Marshawn report, is true that he didn't know about not getting the playoff game. Um,
0: they, 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 All things must pass. All things come to an end in one sense or another. Nothing lasts forever. But when people have rendered exemplary service, then the closing note should be as gracious as possible. Let me put it that way.
1: And I think that probably stands true for this interview. So let's close on this, and then we'll do 9 and 90. I'm Jay's last okay. shot versus the jazz. I had to get that in there. A sentimental mm-hmm. moment of my childhood. I got two friends in Chicago are working on a show. I've been kind of helping them. And they said, you got to ask Bob about anything he remembers about being there for the last MJ shot against the jazz.
0: I remember everything about it. (laughs) I think it's about as theatrical. Anything we don't know. An ending to an epic career as you could ever hope for. Uh, It was so dramatic. So theatrical, you know, the hero of, of the story performs heroically. Uh, the the central figure in the whole dynasty and the whole era of the NBA, even though there were many other big stars and many other interesting stories, the central figure is Michael Jordan. Um, you could hardly have scripted it any better than the way it turned out unless you were a jazz fan. Did you watch
1: The Last Dance during COVID like we all yeah, did? Yeah, I watched
0: yeah. every bit of it. I thought it was extremely well done, and because I had lived through it, Um, I remembered most of it, but there were also aspects that I was unaware of. The the interviews were very revealing, so I think it filled in uh, a lot of blanks.
1: The end of it, too. The last song is a Pearl Jam song. Uh, You know, Chris Russo, your friend at MLB Network, he says, every good American kid needs a a ball club and a band. So my ball club has always been, you know, the Saints are my number one, but the Braves, too the Azuri, mm-hmm. the italian soccer team my band's always been pearl jam i know you're you know i know for you is it paul simon would, would be the band
0: now, Well, paul simon isn't a band well i know really. but you know what i mean, the Although, I, mean act, had, I know he's not a band but he he and you know when i was asked recently by steve serby in his uh sunday conversation q a name an entertainer or singer and i really think of paul more as a composer and a great great composer sure. whether it's Simon and Garfunkel or his many, uh, decades since then, uh, as a solo act. But even then, when you say a solo act, uh, his backup bands have been tremendous. Uh, so the musicality is without question, you know, do you think of, do you think of Paul Simon or Bob Dylan or Leonard Cohen primarily as entertainers or singers I think you think of them primarily as composers. Right, A lot of times when people ask, you know, name your favorite this or your favorite that, 50 names go through your head. Name your favorite actor, name your favorite actress. You can't really narrow it down to one. And you can't re- name your favorite movie of all time. You can't really narrow it down to one. Um, even if you're, you know, if you're knowledgeable at all, several possibilities pop into your head. So, Paul Simon has always been a favorite of mine. Um, we're both New Yorkers. He's a little bit older than me, but you know we come out of somewhat similar backgrounds and everything that he's done just about, both with uh, Art Garfunkel and uh, all the stuff since then, almost every bit of it resonates with me. So that was as good an answer to offer as any, but I could have offered other answers. All right.
1: for This is how we'll add. For all fans of uh, the HBO show, the Great bit nine and 90 at the end. I'm not even going to time it. I, mean, I want to, I want you to answer all nine. Okay. All right. Are you You're ready? Supposedly 90 questions, yep. or, I'm or sorry, nine, nine questions, questions yep.
0: in 90 seconds. And the key element was that I didn't know who the person was. Right. They would, and they the would person would come you. out and ask me the questions. The person would come out from behind the wall. I didn't know who he or she was. I almost always recognized them. In fact, I always recognize them, <laughs> and then they would pose the questions to me, and I would try to answer the questions in 90 seconds. And like here, we're going to be
1: loose with the time, because that was part of the bit,
0: too. Uh, even if the time yeah, went out, they we went ju- usually ask them anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, here's what I came up with, my 9 and 90 for Bob Costas. Okay, go ahead. All right, number one, for my Rolex, who was the pitcher when Mickey Mantle hit his seventh home run?
0: His seventh home run? Yes. His seventh home run? in 1951 as a rookie
1: yes his seventh career I, home run i have no idea all right it's ellis ellis kinder kinder
0: ellis kinder yes ellis kinder he tigers he, i think
1: uh mantle asked you that for his rolex on uh later
0: oh is that right <laughs> yeah I, I i obviously i forgot
1: <laughs> and then he was so happy when he didn't have to give up the rolex but he still right. wanted you he still wanted you to answer it and he gave you a bunch of clues but the rolex was off the table So, luckily for me, my Rolex is off the table now, too. All right, number two, studio host or play-by-play guy? Me? Yeah, what do you like better? What would you rather do? Be a studio host or play-by-play?
0: I I think my career is more uh, remembered because of studio hosting, interviewing, that sort of thing. Uh, But I I certainly think that I did a good job uh, on the NBA in the late 90s. And through most of my career, I, I thought I've been a very good baseball announcer, you know, I'm not quite as sharp as I used to be, but I've always enjoyed calling baseball. And I think the body of my work as a baseball announcer uh, is something I'm proud of.
1: Number three, your baseball commissioner for 24 hours. What's first?
0: Well, an easy thing, you know, there are always ongoing problems that have complex possible answers, but an easy thing is that I would change the ghost runner rule. I'd let have them play at least one extra inning as real baseball. If you're going to use it
1: for nice. various reasons,
0: you don't want games to go too long. Modern managers are concerned about if a game becomes a marathon, you go 18, 19 innings, you're using up too many of your pitchers, et cetera, et cetera. But at least play one inning under real baseball circumstances before using it in the 11th. And of course, as proof of the fact that true baseball doesn't involve it at all, when you get to the playoffs in World Series, there is no Ghost Runner.
1: Number four, Bob Costas, WrestleMania. What's the main event? In other words, when you were a kid, who are the two guys you would love to see the most in a match? Who are your guys?
0: Oh, I would love to see Haystacks Calhoun versus Bobo Brazil. Oh, nice. I was hoping you'd say
1: my guy Bruno, but that's okay.
0: Bruno San Martino, another good one. Yeah,
1: Italian hero. Number five, uh, down, down six, minute 30 left. You need one T D, who's your quarterback, playoff game. Who are you going to?
0: Maybe sacrilege not to say Brady, but I might go to Montana. But you know, if you if you said Brady, if you said Peyton Manning, if you said Montana, if you said back in the day Johnny Unitas, who is said to have invented the two minute track, yep. none of these none of those answers are wrong.
1: Right. Right. And Montana showed showed us, he, he did it, right, with John Candy in the stands. Famously, pointed him out right before that when he tried. Yes, drives. he did. Uh, all right, number six, game seven, bottom of the ninth. You're down three, bases loaded. Who's up?
0: Down three. You know, bases the, the famous
1: thing in the in the backyard. You know, it's game seven of the World Series. Yeah. yeah who,
0: who, oh, well, if, if it's me, if I'm just playing wiffle ball or something in the backyard, <laughs> then it's Mickey Mantle because that was my guy That's when I was guy. a kid. That's your guy.
1: Yeah. You, you are now the second person on this show whose guy. Is Mantle. Also, the first lady of the sportscaster Jane Levy. Uh, that was her oh, guy, right. too. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Bob Costas' best call is?
0: The one that's remembered most because it's still the highest rated NBA game ever and because it's the punctuation of the Bulls' part of arguably the most significant career in NBA history, Michael Jordan. Uh, it would be the call of Jordan's last shot that wins the game and the series and concludes the Bulls dynasty in 1998.
1: Fair. I'm still going with the Braves in 95. Though. That's, just, that's just my good. My, all right. Number eight, best call not by Costas.
0: Um, Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles? Has to be somewhere on the list. Vin Scully's call, not so much of the home run itself, which was good. But the aftermath, when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record, what Scully said in the aftermath, grasping the historical significance of it beyond baseball, was magnificent. Uh, just as the call of Kirk Gibson's home run, high fly ball, deep right field, she is gone, is terrific. But what sets that call apart was one of the things that set Scully apart, which was his framing of it. Even at Gibson struck out, the way Scully framed the drama and the moment and the building anticipation was great. And then what he said in the aftermath, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Yeah. If, you had, if you were sitting up there as a writer and you had an hour to think about what your lead of the story would be, you couldn't top that. And he had to come up with it in the moment off the top of his head.
1: All right. AB, though, who had a better call Gibson's home run, Scully or Buck?
0: Well, Buck's call was a radio call. They're right. both great. Yeah, they're equally great equally on their great. own terms.
1: Fair enough. And the last one, number nine, fantasy golf foursome, alive or dead? It's you and what three people?
0: Well, so they don't have to be golfers, right? Nah, you could even do a dinner if you prefer. Whatever you want to do. You want? You want? Let's let's confine it. I I confined it to baseball. Okay. When Steve Serby asked me the same question recently, and I said Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, and Vin Scully.
1: All right, now what if I said, but no baseball people?
0: Who would be the four? No baseball people. You know, I don't want to sound too highbrow, but there have been people in in the history of literature who okay. were famously who were famously uh, reclusive. So maybe if I could get them to talk, J.D. Salinger, mm. Harper Lee. And then, you know, let's go with Mark Twain,
1: all who right.
0: predates, for the most part, any sort of modern modern media.
1: My friend when I went to Elmira College, which is like a Mark Twain shrine down there. Um, all right, Bob, I think we got all 990. I, I mean, my class yeah, was, but it, it took closer to nine <laughs> minutes than ninety seconds. Listen, this for me is 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 the thank you. That's all I can say. I left. Oh, you're the welcome, critics too. will say, Bob, that I left the Olympics on the table. I was a fool for that. They'll also say. I Maybe mean, as very last thing, you read the article for more time. You know, I always have to put, have a few last things. Uh, your dad was a huge sports gambler. What do you think he would think of sports in twenty twenty three? the way gambling has come to the mainstream
0: the way it has. Even before uh, sports gambling became essentially legalized across the country, and then all the leagues, which once said we can't (laughs) imagine legalized gambling to ruin sports as we have known it, not only now tolerate it, they embrace it and promote it, but even before that, the explosion of information that would have been so much more information Than he had available. You know, he'd look at the paper and go on a hunch. He'd look at the starting probable pitchers in a game, and he'd go on a hunch after he heard uh, the line on the game. Now there's so much information available. uh, I don't know if he'd still go with his gut, or he'd want to be informed down to the most minute bit of information before he placed his bet.
1: Maybe a little, maybe a little bit of both.
0: Maybe. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of both. I'll never know. Do you
1: have any questions for me? Are we done? Uh, well, yeah, we're done.
0: That is a question. There's a, there's a question <laughs> mark. Are we, done? Question. Yes. are we done? Yes,
1: we are done. Thank you, Bob Costas. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for having me on.
1: Alright, I want to thank Bob Costas for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters Podcast on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. Instagram is at sportscasters, and you can leave a five-star review if you like on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, the 24-inch podcast exists. At that same SoundCloud feed, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters, it's Paula Bennett, Dave Rollins, and myself. You can find that on Twitter, at 24inchpodcast. Instagram, at 24-inch-podcast. Email us, 24 podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the, the next season of that show, the fourth season, I believe, will debut next week. We will start with Saturday Night's main event from January of 88, Hulk Hogan's match against King Kong Bundy will get us kicked off. This will also be the year that we begin our march towards WrestleMania three, which we will do in many parts. But, um, yeah, somebody pinch me. Bob Costas is just on the show. Holy shit. If I could have told 15-year-old me that I would be at 43 interviewing Bob Costas from the spare room in my house in North Tonawanda... I would have told you you're crazy, uh, but we just did that. So, good start to season 14. All right, one last thing before we get out of here. It was a magical Christmas uh, for me and my family here um, after two pretty tough Christmases. You know, two years ago, uh, Christmas happened, but I was, I don't really remember much of it. I was coming in and out, I was sick. You know, eventually in January, I would go to the hospital and start my ordeal. And then I thought last year I would get Christmas back after having such a bad one. Uh, But we had the worst blizzard in my life here in Buffalo. You know, over 30 people passed away. It was really serious and really sad and didn't really get a Christmas. A lot of time just home with the girls and, you know, on our own. Santa still made it, but other than that, certainly wasn't the comeback I was hoping for. Uh, But this year... Everything worked out, you know. The weather was good. Uh, Anthony was home. Uh, Anthony actually stayed over on Christmas Eve, um, and and did Christmas morning with us, which was amazing. Uh, but it was a really a great Christmas. It started uh, with a party at my house on Christmas Eve. Uh, we had the um, my family over, my my mom's side of the family. You know, my brothers were here, my my niece and my nephew, my sister in law. Uh, we had tacos we exchanged gifts it was a beautiful time Um, and then my brother had to go to work and my sister-in-law my niece and nephew left and then my mom my brother tammy myself and paul went to her parents Uh, we did a gift exchange there it was really great to have anthony my mom there my mom went home Uh, we did christmas night here santa came got great gifts and then we went to my mom's house in the morning and did a lunch there. My uncle Paul was there. Uh, got my family was there. Uh, and then we went to um, my grand, my dad's side of the family, my grandmother's house, uh, who's in her upper 80s. I think she turns 89 this year. Um, and it was great to have her still. Um, you know, I always tell her, you know, my other grandma died when I was 15, and I really needed her to make a run, and she has. And uh, my brother Anthony was nice enough to pay his respects and come over and visit with her. Um, You know, we have different dads, so that's not necessarily his family, you know, but she's known him forever. And everyone loves Anthony and some about him that I wish I had. I think Paula has it um, where everyone just loves to be around them. Uh, So it's great to have him there. Uh, Oh, before Christmas even started, Anthony, Paul and I went and seen the Iron Claw. And I gave a review on 24 inch podcast last time. Check that out. That was great. Great day. We went to Duff's after, uh, but we were at my dad's. And then after that, we came home, uh, Tammy and Paula quickly went to her, uh, mom's side of the family for a bit. I stayed home. Um, I was getting ready to tap out at that point, but, um, uh, they did well there and it was a great two days, a great Christmas. We had a great break. Um, You know, we did a lot of different things with Paula. Paula did a lot of great things with friends and, you know, uh, different family members. And that was great. Uh, We went to my cousin's daughter's birthday party and seen some family um, there that we didn't see over. So that was good. Um, And, you know, uh, we watched uh, movies and shows and played with our toys that we got for Christmas. And it was a great break. Um, and then Paul went back to school. Oh, then New Year's came, and uh, we, we the Saints played during the day, and then I took a break, and then we went to dinner um, at a hibachi place. We usually go with uh, Don, the former co-host of the show, and his family, but they, they went to the Bills game, I think, so they couldn't make it. Uh, but we went alone, and then we usually go to this arcade, but they're closed to the public. So we had a nice hibachi dinner. We went and got some desserts, came home, watched the ball drop. Happy New Year, all that. Uh, but it was a great it was a great weekend. Um, and, you know, I celebrated when the 2023 ended because uh, I did not go to the hospital in 2023. And when you have a year like I did in 2022, you know, when you spend over 60 days in the hospital, and I don't want to gloat about this too much, right? Because another hospital stay could be right around the corner. Uh, but I think you do have to celebrate when you go from 70 days to zero. Um, and my health has been good. You know, I'm going to, see my GI for the first time, you know, at the end of the month. And that's only because they called and said, we have to see you every year when you're on Humera to renew the script and all that. Said okay. Um, But they called me, you know, I wasn't looking for them. Uh, So it's been good. I've been good. You know, I've um, cut back on some medication that I was taking to survive. It's less and less of that. And, um, you know, as of right now, you know, I, I, I feel good and I you know I feel something in me that I haven't in a while you know just kind of this this spark of like you've you've won so many battles that you're gonna get some time to not have to fight them and like go do something with this time like you know I want to get in better shape and I want to book better guests and have a bigger podcast and you know I'm gonna continue at ECC speaking to classes and you know, I just want to have a great 2024. I want everyone who's listening to have a great 2024. I want to thank Bob Costas for being here. I want to thank Paula for coming in and giving the hey now. Um, I want to thank everyone who listened in 2023 and will listen in 2024. I'd love to hear from you. The TheSportsGuessers at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the Costas interview. How did I do? I can tell you when I stood up when it was done, I couldn't believe how much I had sweat through my shirt um, so the, the nerves were, were there and I was, I was, um, I was sweating it out, but look will it, it's over. It's up. It's out there for you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for being a part of this since 2011. You know, Bob Costas didn't, doesn't do a lot of podcasts and he told me why. Um, and I understand his answer, but he did this one, you know, and of all the things I've accomplished with this show, that's going to be really high up there. That a guy who doesn't like to do these things agreed to do one. And by the way, the ones he does are like Bill Simmons and Mike Lupica and his friends and people he's known. It's not a lot of just jabronis from their bedrooms in Buffalo, you know. And I like to think that I earned that right to do that. That you know, I struggled leading up to the interview with, am I good enough for this? And I don't know still if I am good enough for it, um, but. I know I was good enough to earn the time. Um, and I don't take that for granted. I don't take any of this for granted. You know, my life could have ended two years ago when I was septic and in the ICU and, and fighting Crohn's disease. Uh, but today I'm here to be a father and a husband and a podcaster and a son and a brother. And what could be better than that? So thank you to Bob Costas. Thank you to everyone who listens. Uh, we'll be back with episode two season 14 of the Sportscasters very soon.